0: Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our guest, Georgia State Representative Park Cannon, serving the people of the 58th Congressional District in Atlanta. Welcome to the show, Representative Cannon. We're happy to have you with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Atlanta is really excited to continue to get into Good Trouble, and we've got a legacy of it, in fact. So I'm really proud to do this kind of cross-Georgia conversation on your podcast.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's dive right in. State Representative Park Cannon serves the citizens, as stated, of Georgia's House District 58, which encompasses a diverse cross-section of Atlanta. In 2021, Representative Cannon was named Legislator of the Year by the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. She currently serves as the secretary to the Georgia House Democratic Caucus and sits on six different committees. Her legislative efforts focus on reproductive justice issues, such as access to quality health care, housing, and education. She also devotes her legislative work to protecting Georgia's most vulnerable citizens, women and children, the elderly, and the LGBTQ plus community. During previous sessions, Representative Cannon has centered her efforts on legislation that addresses maternal mortality rates and the HIV epidemic in Georgia. She graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and participated in the Harvard Kennedy School of Government's Executive Education, State and Local Government Program. In service to Sister Song, the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus, Nobel Women, the League of Women Voters, and the NAACP, Representative Cannon was awarded the Fresh Legislator and Joan Garner Service Awards. She was also named a CALS Fellow and Henry Toll Fellow by the Council of State Governments and recently, just just now, actually, added to the Chisholm list of sisters to watch. That's so impressive. And congrats on all of your awards and recognitions. It's certainly a hard-earned and well-deserved Representative Cannon. So Diving right in, you famously or infamously, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, knocked on Governor Kemp's door to protest the signing of SB 202, the Republicans' assault on voting rights, as he actually signed it into law in his office. You made national news as you were arrested, and thankfully, no charges were brought. Tell us why you did it and why it mattered and why it still matters.
1: This year was so unusual. When I think about how home rule is normally respected in the state of Georgia, meaning if you're a locality, you get to run your polling place, how the legislative advocacy that normally goes on, you'll see special interest groups, you'll see organizations come down to the Capitol and be at the ropes and really speak fervently against the issues. But this year was so unusual. The Capitol was empty all of legislative session, and we were really working hard to bring people virtually to the table. However, as we saw, being virtually brought to the table wasn't enough. So on March 25th, when we went home, there was an election bill that was two pages long. And when we got back on March 26th, that bill was 98 pages long after it got through its subject committee and the rules committee had limited debate was passed on the floor, it was immediately transmitted to the Senate and it followed that same process in the Senate. So when the house adjourned at six seventeen, we found out that the bill was being signed at six 30. Oh my. Now, I'm a millennial um, who's excited to move around quickly and to try to multitask. But even I could not wrap my mind around the governor signing a bill in 13 minutes that would impact 4 million Georgians. So when we went downstairs, our goal was to do as we normally do, go to the bill signings, get a pen, see what the media was looking like. And instead, we were met with closed doors and officers I was taken away to jail, spent four hours in there and was given two felonies. We're still fighting it. We have our oral arguments in front of the Georgia Supreme Court. And we're just hopeful that the case and the cases that, you know, are impacted by this will see some justice.
0: But your charges were dropped, correct? I just want to ensure that that's accurate.
1: Correct. The local district attorney did not refer my case to the attorney general, nor did she refer it to the grand jury.
0: Good, I'm happy to hear that. So, this is other litigation that you're referring to against this law, this repressive law.
1: Exactly. It only took 24 hours for Senate Bill 202 to be challenged by multiple voting rights organizations and average citizens of Georgia.
0: Okay, unbelievable. Well, let's turn our attention to all the work that you're doing on behalf of LGBTQ plus rights. And the little talked about any longer HIV epidemic in Georgia. As a Black queer woman yourself, I imagine this issue is extremely close to your heart. We've come a long way, but have more work to do. Can you elaborate on this issue and how you're fighting to ensure this community's civil rights?
1: Oh, certainly. When I decided to run for office in 2016, as a 24 year old who had just become openly queer, I was wondering. If I'm going to try to run for office, do I need to knock on doors and lead with that identity? We're in the Bible Belt. How would my church members feel about this? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was it was more about the issues that they wanted to discuss and to have a deeper understanding of what does LGBTQ mean and how do those intersectional identities look? So I had to bring it to real life situations. We started off at first. Rewriting the Department of Public Health code on how you test someone for HIV and what information is given to them afterwards. What I truly understand as a healthcare person is that the stigma surrounding HIV can be more damaging than living with HIV. We have medicine called PEP if you've been exposed to the virus, post-exposure prophylaxis, Where, if you take it consistently, it actually lessens your viral load so that your viral load cannot replicate and therefore you cannot transmit. But the stigma that exists in local counties, if you have one little provider who is not up on PEP, does not understand, all they'll do is give you a condom. Mm. And so we really had to look at this as an issue of uniformity. And we were proud to change those. Department of Public Health codes, but we needed to go even deeper. We needed to actually provide a pilot program for those who are not yet living with HIV to be able to not live with HIV. And the medicine is called PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So I went to the healthcare chair in the house and I started talking to her about the most transmissive counties in the state of Georgia. And number one was Fulton. And number two was Fannin. Really? Yes. I did
0: not know that.
1: And for a different reason. So in Fulton, there are conversations that relate to the LGBTQ community and the public health. But in Fannin, it's actually connected to injection drug use. So the CDC has been tracking the most vulnerable counties across the United States. So once we saw that from Fulton to Fannin, this HIV epidemic was an issue for Georgia. The speaker could not let the bill pass. We wrote a pilot program and it's in its second year now. We've got about $300,000 going to community service boards and county health departments. So we're hitting the... LGBTQ community, but we're also destigmatizing this conversation on how HIV even happens.
0: And of course, you're referring to Speaker David Ralston, who is from Fanning County. He's a Republican, so really not surprising that he's standing in the way. So what are your next moves, you know, coming up this year in 2022?
1: Luckily, last year, we were able to pass Mama Medicaid and to fund it. We were able to say that if you are going to ban access to reproductive health at six weeks pregnancy, well, then you at least need to give more than six weeks postpartum care. But unfortunately, up until this past year, if you gave birth on Medicaid in Georgia after six weeks, you would be kicked off the rolls. So we were able to expand from six weeks to six months and then supplement with federal funding to make it last up to a year. So this coming year, we're focused on some other maternal health pieces of legislation that get at this buzzword, maternal mortality, Mm -hmm. or a negative maternal health outcome after delivery. We're focusing on educating our healthcare workers through a bill called the Dignity in Childbirth Act, it is a piece of legislation that provides implicit bias training to maternal healthcare workers. And the reason that we want to talk about implicit bias training is because you might not openly say that you don't believe someone is in pain when you're looking at them, but the way that you might work, you might walk a little bit slower. You might not really get them that cold water that they need. You might not work as quickly as possible to address their eyes rolling in the back of their head or their dizziness or their nauseousness. And so that's implicit bias. We've seen over the years, Black women die in childbirth in Georgia three times more than their white counterparts. And we believe it is because of the underlying biases that exist within healthcare workers. And we want to meet that need. So I serve on the insurance committee, And we are taking an angle of malpractice on this piece of legislation to help people understand that they could face malpractice suits if they, of course, are implicitly biased or explicitly biased.
0: Well, we certainly appreciate all of your efforts in this area. Georgia, I believe, has the highest mortality rate Or maternal rather mortality rate in the nation with people of color impacted more greatly than any other demographic. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. And so we put more money into our MMRC, our maternal mortality review committee, which are a group of public health workers and investigators who look through the life of that pregnant person back one year up until their death and try to figure out what are the underlying symptoms. Or what were the adverse circumstances that led them to passing away? But unfortunately, our MMRC is still under-resourced, and we believe that there is some other public health workers that need to be on it. We call them doulas. They are emotional and physical support people for those going through labor. And sometimes they're conflated with midwives, which Even though midwifery should be legal in Georgia, it is not unless you are a certified professional midwife. So there are a number of issues as it relates to maternal health that we're digging into this year.
0: Tell us why people of color, women of color, to drill down, women of color are impacted more greatly and tend to die more often than their white counterparts. Tell us why that is.
1: We're really proud of organizations like SisterSong, Women of Color, and Black Mamas Matter Alliance for bringing statistics and evidence-based information to the policymaking tables. They have outlined many of the reasons why, and I'll list two. One is this idea of a maternal mortality pipeline. Perhaps at some point you had gone to a physician and you felt as though they were disrespectful to you. They didn't create a trusting situation. So maybe you were not able to go back to that provider because you felt as though you weren't getting the care that you needed. Maybe you hadn't been to the dentist in a few years. And we know that dentistry is one of the most important pieces of a pregnancy. So there are some of the ways that provider mistrust and lack of access to medical insurance has caused Black women and brown women to have negative health outcomes. But there's also the piece on the other side of those actual pregnancy-related circumstances. The number one, of course, has been hemorrhaging or continuing to bleed more than you would need to postpartum. And unfortunately, what we have seen is that people live so far from hospitals because so many of Georgia's hospitals have closed over the past six years, over the past two governors. And so we unfortunately see that women simply cannot get to the hospital fast enough, cannot find child care and transportation to be able to address the hemorrhaging. Or the second one is the high blood pressure. You know, you just feel like you're nauseous. You just feel like you're dizzy. And you just think that maybe you're overtired. But actually, your blood pressure is pumping too much. And you're starting to bleed more. These are some of the, you know, major reasons that have been highlighted by the Center for Reproductive Rights and the National Institute for Reproductive Health on why Black women die three times more in childbirth
0: in Georgia. That is appalling, absolutely appalling and unacceptable. And we appreciate all of your efforts to save these women from this plight. So you're also focused on the challenges of Black and brown women here in America and overseas, the state of democracy in the United States, and issues on the gerrymandering and redistricting process. Let's take these crucial topics one at a time. What will it take to save our democracy? Because there's no doubt that it's currently in peril. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, definitely. I believe in the importance of claiming the term democracy defender.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: And this year, there was a national LGBTQ publication that actually put me up for the running of number one or number two democracy defender in the United States. I lost out narrowly to the person who actually was on the phone call during the January 6th insurrection and who was inside of the United States Capitol at that time. But what I believe that we will need to continue to do is to help people understand the dates related to voting, period. There are so many different changes that were created because of this Senate Bill 202 that don't get as much attention as I really think need to get attention. One of those is certainly that the drop boxes that we would be able to access Mm -hmm. are no longer outside. They are inside and only accessible during business hours. Fulton County went from having 38 drop boxes to eight drop boxes. So if you have sent out for your ballot, and you've received your ballot, and your last step is to put it in the drop box, but you miss that cutoff time, you have to really understand why it is important that we look at the election dates. The second, of course, is if you decide that you want to vote early, you actually want to go vote early in person they've cut off the runoff opportunities by two weeks. So if you, as we know, and I got elected in a runoff election as well, if someone does not get 50.1% of the vote, there has to be you know, around two. And normally those happen within four to six weeks. Now those would have to happen no later than four weeks after. And so the election board's, Have to prepare those ballots at least two weeks before the runoff election so that they can get through the mail. So now you literally have a one week early voting period in a runoff where you would have had a three week early voting period. So we're hopeful that folks are geared up for May, you know, qualifying having happened will definitely make it so that we know who's on the ballot and it's ultimately every statewide seat. It's your state school superintendent. It's your public service commissioners. It's your congresspeople. It's your state elected officials. It's your counties. I mean, it's it's everyone, your judges. And so I really feel like the easiest way for us to defend our democracy is to set calendar invites for the election dates in Georgia.
0: Exactly. And tell us more about the challenges, the specific challenges that you're laser focused on that impact Black and brown women here in our country and also globally.
1: I'm proud to be a Black woman who grew up in the South and who spent some time around the world in other countries and came back home to Atlanta to run for office. So I feel like I'm one of the legislators who has a very globalized outlook. And, you know, even our slogan is better solutions for a better Georgia, really looking out for you. We've got glasses as our logo to say that we're forward thinking. And so I'm excited to have a very diverse staff at the Capitol. We have people from Brazil and from France and from Mexico on our team and are still building out in other countries, but we feel like there has been an opportunity this past year to increase the number of cultural events that happen across Georgia being certified by the state. So we actually started working on getting Christopher Columbus Day changed to Indigenous Peoples Day this year. Uh, We were not successful, (laughs) but um, we are, you know, working on it through the governor's office. And in the meantime, We're working on bringing those leaders to the table by creating these public hearings. As Democrats in the House, we don't get bill hearings in the real committees. So we created our own committees. And so we'll be having a number of Democratic caucus people's hearings on international issues. And from our office's perspective, I am one of three Spanish-speaking elected officials in the House. So we are really trying to bring language justice to our committee meetings by making appropriations requests for Spanish speaking interpreters and translators around the state capitol.
0: That is fantastic. And I'm so happy to hear that you're doing that. And I imagine changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day in Georgia will be a lot easier once Governor Abrams (laughs) is in office. And I'm sure you're looking forward to working with Stacey Abrams moving forward. So we're all very excited about that.
1: Before we move on real quick, and all I'll say is, you know, there's been some low moments this year with my arrest, but there's also been some high moments. And one of those high moments was when someone said to me, the next time that you knock on the governor's door, she will answer.
0: Yes, she will. You'll be invited in. And so will all your colleagues. So very, very excited about her run and what it means for our state and the nation as a whole. So let's talk about gerrymandering. Republicans are nefarious and completely evil as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the redistricting process, which is going to impact us over the next decade. What are your thoughts on that? And what are some of the lowlights and highlights of that process?
1: I'm sitting here right now looking at the proposed House maps. Now, these maps have already passed. And as I look at them, And as I remember the conversations that were happening on the floor, the Republican Party kept talking about, we're complying with the Voting Rights Act with these maps. And I want to make sure that people understand that the Voting Rights Act has actually been gutted Mm -hmm. so that if you change polling places or precincts, they don't have to be pre-cleared. That, you know, you can have certain deviations of racial populations go on that the district numbers can change now. And so we've seen all of that this year. The Princeton Redistricting Project gave these maps an F. And we definitely believe that they are not representative of the future of Georgia. For the next 10 years, we know that voters have not picked their representatives. Their representatives have picked their voters. Now, Democrats spent several months touring the state, engaging with the public, doing it in multiple languages, and we were engaged in the process of the committee as well, but we're outnumbered and the core of the existing districts that we have had been preserved, but the margins were changed. So given my district, for example, 17 precincts were taken from me. And I was given 19 new ones, Mm. ones that I have never represented before. And so as much as I am excited to meet new voters and to work across county lines and city lines in order to get out the vote in other districts, they were actually drawn so that Republicans have a majority um, or that Republicans don't have to face competition. We had a number of competitive seats, and unfortunately, two of those competitive seats that Democrats flipped have now been drawn together up in Gwinnett County, so we will undoubtedly lose at least one Democrat, taking us down to 77. And we're hopeful that what people will continue to do is to work on winning local elections. I want to give just one quick example of how intersectional Georgia is. When Ahmaud Arbery was killed in the city of Brunswick, the nation stopped and said, wow, this has to do with the district attorney and the county clerks and the police and the citizens and everyone. He didn't really talk about the mayor too much, but a young Black man named Cosby Johnson, he stepped up to run for mayor and he just became the mayor of Brunswick with Ahmaud Arbery's family's endorsement. Oh, that's wonderful. So there are ways that we can outvote the voter suppression, but I truly believe that these will be in the local processes and the local redistricting will determine that, which has not yet happened.
0: How do you think it will affect the primaries this year, the primaries and also the general election turnout with the gerrymandering process in full swing?
1: We already know that primary elections are usually the time in which super voters come out, those who have voted in two of three elections, and who are waiting for the next opportunity to be the decision makers. And we know that there's down-ballot drop-off in the primary as well as in the general. So We are right now focusing on how we get people to focus on not just voting for the governor and the lieutenant governor down to state legislature, but going all the way down to the bottom. We sometimes even recommend that people vote from the back to the front of their ballot if they're voting on paper so that they know that they don't miss any questions or any individuals. And we're concerned that if county election boards due to Senate Bill 202 and the redistricting process have less LGBTQ representation, women representation, black and brown representation, student representation, multilingual representation, then the primary outreach will not be as diverse. So we need all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. You know, please sign up to be a part of your county election board or ask your family member in another county to just attend an election board meeting. We unfortunately have seen that Senate Bill 202 allows for anyone to put in an unlimited number of petitions against someone's voter registration, meaning someone could just go through the voter rolls, see someone with a name that has a hyphen in it that might sound Muslim or Black or Hispanic and say, "Mm, I don't think they live there. They can go to the election board and petition that that person is not eligible to vote. And if that person does not comply in a timely fashion or receive that information, then they can be kicked off the rolls. So they would have to vote provisionally. And we know provisional ballots, you have to go back and cure them as well. So this is why we call it Jim Crow 2.0, it's a labyrinth. And we really are hopeful that people will pay attention In these primary elections,
0: I hope so too. And thank you for bringing that to our attention because it is so important that our electorate is aware of these changes. So, congratulations on winning the Legislator of the Year Award and all of your numerous awards. You work so hard. I actually follow you on Instagram and you're here and there and everywhere. And you're just, your energy is amazing. But that's truly impressive because with so many Black, fantastic Black legislators out there, many of whom we've interviewed on this show, what set you apart to win this prestigious award?
1: Thank you. I really am. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so encouraged by the idea that, you know, national organizations of legislators who are in their 90s and who have been serving for 30 years and who have seen the ups and downs of political turns would even consider me. But I do think that I have a servant's heart as the caucus secretary. Even in my arrest video, you see that my hands are full and right before they take my hand away, I had to give my bag over to someone else because I'm that millennial you want in the room. I'm the one who's going to help you get on the Zoom call and get your audio situated and, and make sure that everyone's got the minutes of the meeting and knows when things are happening and and also takes that you know kind of like um little sister role sometimes. You know I I'm 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 okay learning from other legislators. So I think that they have seen me take in the things that they have offered to me and really reflect those out in a voice that is not timid. One of my closest mentors is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s son and what he talks to me about all the time is That there will be those quiet moments that no one ever knows that you are struggling through and you want to continue to get help in those moments when you need them. But I feel as though as legislators, there is sometimes this idea that we're just super people, you know, that we don't hurt and that we don't feel. And so I've been proud to be one of the legislators talking about mental health, talking about the impact that this pandemic has had on all of us, our fight or flight responses, our kindness. It doesn't take much to just simply ask someone how they're doing and to mean it. So I will continue in that way despite the harm that might come to me, despite the hate mail. I really feel as though we're on to something here in Georgia and we're going to keep knocking.
0: Well, you're certainly a profile of courage <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And I think you're wonderful. So thank you for all of that. And since you're kicking off Women's History Month for us, what does it mean to you, both as a state representative to a, a very diverse constituency and as a Black queer woman? What does Women's History Month mean to you personally?
1: Women's History Month is all about making her story. All right. It's about determining how our future will look. And with reproductive health having experienced major challenges and setbacks in the courts these past few years, and also with our maternal mortality crisis, I think that there is a righteous focus on women and people who are female identified. But as a queer person, I really want to stretch everyone's you know imagination to understand that People who are transgender, like my staff members who unfortunately are misgendered at the state capitol um, or who sometimes face hate when they are working for me. I want people to really think about the fact that women is a larger term than just those who are female identified now. You can be a cis woman, someone who has the same identification in their gender as their genitalia. Or you can be a transgender woman and um, a change between the gender identity and actually the genitalia with which you have. And transgender people, unfortunately, have uh, experienced violence at the hands of individuals who spew hate, but also at the hands of the system. So this Women's History Month, I would just beg that you look into your community and become a mentor or a kind person to someone who is transgender. I think there's so much that we can learn from folks of the transgender experience. And if I can be of support to you in connecting with organizations like the Transgender Law Center or Georgia Equality, then please do reach out to our office.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, talk to you personally or learn more about you and the work that you do, where would you send them?
1: Please visit our website, Park canon58.com. That's part canon 58 because I represent the 58th district. Mm -hmm. Or you can give us a call at the Capitol. We have wonderful year-round administrative assistants that take in unemployment cases and Department of Health cases for us. And you can reach us at 404-656-7859.
0: Fantastic. And you've also written a book (laughs) and I'm actually going to purchase several copies to donate to my local party up here in Fanning County. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought that about?
1: Thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> it's so exciting. I did become an author this year. I decided to write a book and put it out on Inauguration Day to really remind people that just like me, you can run for office, you can run as you are, and that path might not be written for you. So you might need a little bit of a guide. You might already know the issues that you want to work on, but you just might need a little bit of understanding some of the inner and outer workings. So the Universal Guide to Running for Office is available on Amazon, and it is about 200-page book split up into three parts. The first part is why I ran for office. It is a tell-all letter, and it includes some of the emotional pieces, as well as some of the questions that I had to answer for myself when I decided to run. The second part transitions by having a playlist of the songs that I would listen to when I was running for office and needed some motivation, as well as the team members and systems of infrastructure that you need to run for office. I talk about it as your kitchen cabinet as spices that you need for your food. You need your pepper. That is someone who is a little feisty and willing to get in there on those social media trolls. You need your all season salt. That's your campaign manager. They will do anything and everything. You need your cinnamon. That's your media person, the person who can keep it sweet and do a high level update on your phone. And then you need a sprinkles of volunteers and folks who can really up your campaign. The last part is an affirmation series. I have had to think about meditation and mindfulness while at the state capitol every day of legislative session for the past five years. So I've got affirmations that I repeat to myself when I am triggered at the capitol or when there is a really difficult constituent case. So, you actually get to see my affirmation on one side and write in your affirmation on the other. I hope that the Universal Guide to Running for Office will be enjoyable to you. Oh,
0: there's no doubt. <laughs> Not only enjoyable, but immensely practical and helpful. So, we're very excited about your book. And once again, that is the Universal Guide to Running for, and I believe it's statewide office. Is that correct? You got it. All right. And finally, and I ask all my guests this question. Tell us a fun fact about yourself, something not related to politics, all your work across democratic causes. Tell us something fun and interesting just about you.
1: I am a dancer. I love Latin dancing, and this year I've been selected to be a part of the Gwinnett County Dancing with the Stars. Get out! That's great! How exciting! I'm really excited. I'm going to be undergoing six months of dance classes and get a partner. And we are going to raise some money for a local nonprofit that provides support to families and children by getting out on the dance floor. So I am excited uh, to
0: show off some of my dance moves for a good cause. Oh, that is wow. I will. that will obviously be available for everyone to see because I want to see it. Yes, we are going
1: to make sure that it is accessible to people and hopefully Dancing with the Stars from ABC will be interested in me too.
0: (laughs) I love that. You are such a multifaceted, amazing woman. We're just so excited to have you on our show and we hope that you'll join us again. So thank you. Representative Cannon, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Democratic Party policy, Democratic women, and maintain our democracy. I'm Meryl Clark, and on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue podcast. We hope you'll join us next time when we interview yet another notable Democratic woman. So stay tuned. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FanninCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe and follow. And if you enjoy our podcasts, consider becoming a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com. Slash patron, so we can continue getting into more good trouble.